Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 56 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Jeremiah 11 through 23. Chapter 11 begins by God instructing Jeremiah to remind the people of the covenant that they had made with him, that is, with God. Again and again, God had warned the people to be true to this covenant, but they refused. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but that they did not keep. The towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. You, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns, and the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful god Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. The final verses of the chapter refer to a plot against Jeremiah by the people of Anathoth. But God assures the prophet, I will punish them. Chapter 12 begins with Jeremiah asking God a couple of probing questions. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? He receives a bit of a cryptic answer. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? God, a few lines down, continues, I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. The last verses are God's declaration that he will uproot both the enemies of Judah who have stolen their inheritance and Judah, but then that he will have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. If these learn to do well, then they will be established among my people. Chapter 13, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, begins with Jeremiah being instructed to Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. After a time, this belt is taken off and put in a crevice in the rocks. Many days later, Jeremiah is instructed to go get it, finding it useless and rotten. The purpose of all this? In the same, God speaking here, in the same way I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. The next parable is about a wineskin. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every wineskin should be filled with wine. This parable, God said, represented the utter disaster coming on all the people whom he would fill with drunkenness. The rest of the chapter is an urgent plea for God's people to humble themselves and listen. Warning of trouble coming from the north including captivity, exile, and humiliation. I will scatter you like chaff driven by the desert wind. This is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in false gods. Chapter 14 begins by describing a raging drought that leaves cisterns dry, cracked earth, and panting donkeys, suffering both hunger and thirst. In the midst of the famine, the people cry for help. Do something, Lord, for the sake of your name. God's response? 
They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet, so the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. God instructs Jeremiah again, as he has several times, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. Jeremiah replies to God, Alas, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them, You will not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you lasting peace in this place. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name, God responds. Jeremiah is then given a message for them. Let my eyes overflow with tears night and day without ceasing. Why? Because of suffering everywhere. The final lines of the chapter record Jeremiah's response to God. Have you rejected Judah completely? For the sake of your name, do not despise us. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember your covenant with us and do not break it. Chapter 15 begins with a very solemn tone. Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. Where would they go? To death, sword, starvation, and captivity. All this would come upon them because of what Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep on backsliding, so I will reach out and destroy you. I am tired of holding back. Later in the chapter, we hear Jeremiah pleading for God's intervention. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. God assures Jeremiah that if he's faithful, I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. In chapter 16, Jeremiah is told not to have children in Judah because they will suffer and die. The rest of the chapter, in fact, is quite dark. Both high and low will die in this land. They will not be buried or mourned. Before your eyes and in your days, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of bride and bridegroom in this place. When the people would ask Jeremiah why God had decreed such disaster, he was to respond. It is because your ancestors forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you have behaved more wickedly than your ancestors. So I will throw you out of this land. And yet, God would again restore them to the land I gave their ancestors. Chapter 17 is another declaration of God's abhorrence of Judah's idolatrous rebellion. Engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. A few lines down, two attitudes are contrasted. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And... 
Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. The chapter also warns, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In the midst of the chapter, we hear Jeremiah again asking for God's help. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. And then this, let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. The last section of the chapter urges the people to honor the Sabbath. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. If they did so, prosperity would follow. And if not, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. Chapter 18, by the way, a chapter you really should read, records that Jeremiah headed down to the potter's house for a lesson. While Jeremiah watched, he noticed that the clay was marred in, the, in his hands. That is the potter's hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. God then asked Jeremiah, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Then God gives this extremely important lesson to Jeremiah. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Jeremiah was then to communicate this idea to the people. This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Unfortunately, He's also told they still won't listen. God again expresses how shocking it is that Israel has forgotten him and will suffer the dire results of that decision or forgetfulness. The final section of the chapter finds Jeremiah in trouble with the people again. Come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Jeremiah responds with a cry for God's protection and retribution on his enemies. But you, Lord, know all their plots to kill me. Do not forgive their crimes or blot out their sins from your sight. Chapter 19 is another parable, this time using a clay jar. Jeremiah is to Go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, near the entrance of the potsherd gate, with the jar and utter a horrific prophecy of coming disaster, much of which has already been spoken. Then he was to smash the clay jar, declaring, This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will smash this nation and this city, just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. 
Chapter 20 finds Jeremiah beaten and put in stocks at the temple by the official in charge of the temple. He's released the next day and utters a grave prophecy against this temple official who had bound him. This is what the Lord says. I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. The rest of the chapter is a heartbreaking complaint from the suffering prophet. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. When the prophet tries to keep his mouth shut to avoid conflict and suffering, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Even Jeremiah's friends are waiting for him to mess up. And yet, Jeremiah continues to hope in God. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Yet, the chapter doesn't end on that note, but with Jeremiah's rather depressing question. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Chapter 21 finds King Zedekiah requesting Jeremiah to inquire of the Lord regarding Nebuchadnezzar whether a miracle might be performed and the siege be ended. God's response is not what Zedekiah hopes for. I am about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside this city. I myself will fight against you, with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. Further, the prophet is to declare this message from God. I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians who are besieging you will live. They will escape with their lives. The final lines of the chapter find God urging the palace administration to do justice or suffer the punishment injustice deserves. In chapter 22, Jeremiah gives a charge to the king and his officials. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you are careful to carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this palace, riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by their officials and their people. And, of course, we know by now that if they fail to do so, calamity is inevitable. Several lines down, it's noted that Shalom, son of Josiah, who's been taken captive, will never return. What follows this is a tirade against building a kingdom on injustice and wealth on the back of oppression. Then King Jehoiakim is mentioned, another son of Josiah. In his death, he would not be mourned, but would have the burial of a donkey 
dragged away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. Near the end of the chapter, God declares of the king Jehoiachin, I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you both will die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. Chapter 23, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, begins with a stern rebuke to the leaders who have failed to shepherd Israel wisely, instead destroying the flock. They will be punished while God would gather the remnant from every place where they were driven and place caring shepherds over them. Then we come across this messianic prophecy. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. The rest of the chapter is a stern warning to the unfaithful prophets and priests. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. The people were instructed, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They will fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. The final verses in the chapter continue this theme, directly warning against false prophecy. Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says. You used the words, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you that you must not claim this is a message from the Lord. Therefore, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city I gave to you and your ancestors. And that's all for today.